0: And welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast in which some friends from Philly get together and talk about all things movies. We have a very, very special episode today because we are not only here with Sam, Dave, and Connor, but also a super, super special guest, Adeze Nuoko, a fellow Movie John podcaster, part of the Movie John Family Network. Uh, Adese, would you like to introduce your awesome podcast?
1: Oh my gosh, yes, I would. Um, I would like to clarify that I'm just a regular special guest. I don't know about extra special, (laughs) but um, me and my friend and soul sister Taiwo, we have a podcast called Disney Deviants. And it's just a podcast that is fueled by nostalgia and I don't know, vibes, I guess, where we watch um, our favorite Disney Channel original movies and then we just talk about them. It's super simple. Um, but yeah, and we compare. Well, I guess we watched Correction. We watch all of the Disney Channel original movies, but we speak fondly of our favorites. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little bit about that. And thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you. And
0: please check out Disney Deviants. I uh, had the pleasure of guesting on their podcast uh, earlier in the week. I, I think it's, is Halloween Town up? It is. Yes, it is. Awesome.
2: I listened to it uh, today. It's very fun.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm, so yeah, Disney Deviants, it's insightful, hilarious. And for DICOM fans out there, it is a wild trip down memory lane. Uh, just talking about Halloween Town just brought back lots of, lots of memories. Um, so, This week, we are going to roll out our very new theme, just in time for Halloween season. We are doing a series of our favorite spooky horror films. Uh, I believe we've basically done this theme (laughs) this time or like around this season every year, but why mess with a good thing? Uh, So, and in fact, when we closed out our Troubled Productions theme last week with Poltergeist, It was actually kind of a perfect transition into our new spooky horror uh, mode. Uh, So, Adese, this week's movie was your pick. So I'm going to throw it over to you to kick things off, introduce the movie and uh, why you selected it for today's episode.
1: Great. Yeah. So I selected It Follows um, and it's a 2014 horror psychological thriller, you know, all that good stuff. And I would I wish I wish there was a more concrete reason for why I selected this movie than just I wanted something supernatural. And this one sounded familiar. And so I said, yeah, let's do it, because I remember um, my friends telling me to watch this movie at when it came out. And this was when I was like in the hater phase of my life. So if people loved something, I was like, I'm not gonna watch it because, you know, so um, I'm revisiting things that loved ones told me to watch when I was in my hater phase, now that I'm no longer. And yeah, that's basically it. I was looking up supernatural sort of movies and this one landed.
0: Is this, everyone's, everyone has seen this before, right?
2: Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Although the first time I did see it, I saw it in theaters and missed the first 20 minutes,
0: which is kind of important. What? Because re-watching this, I was like, wow, talk about a first seven minutes of a movie. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, big time. It was, uh, it was pretty riveting going back through it this week and seeing that. But um, the movie does a good job of laying it out at at any rate throughout, <laughs> throughout the movie. So um, I enjoyed it the first time, even without that information, but way more this time.
3: Yeah, I've seen this a few times as well. Um, when I think of modern horror classics, it follows, usually comes to the top of my list uh, for I'm sure many reasons we'll dive into. So I was so happy that you picked this. Um, and I can't, you know, Christine mentioned how we not talked about this movie before because it's I feel like up so many of our alleys. So I'm thrilled to dive in.
4: Yeah, I've seen it a few times before too. Desay, I was so excited that you picked this because um I like horror movies, but I don't think that I'm someone who's like all about them. Like like our friend Tori, who like and and Dave and and well actually everybody in on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um Desi, when you said in your hater phase um I'm still in my hater phase like I've never really <laughs> gone out of it. I think that's just like part of my personality. But um I remember feeling like really exhausted by horror movies because they all felt like the same or just not very good and I probably wasn't watching the best movies but I saw this at a friend's house and was like oh shit like I didn't know horror movies could be like this too. So uh, it, it like really changed the game for me and like brought me brought me back to center to being excited about watching horror movies again. So um, I love it.
1: Great. I have to say there's nothing wrong with the hater phase. So if you are in your hater phase right now, live it up, okay? Live in it. But as for me, this is this was my first time watching it follows and I'm I have I, I have mixed feelings the feelings are mixed and um, we will we'll talk about that <laughs> but yeah so I do want to ask what is something about this movie that um having watched it multiple times what is something that has stuck with you and keeps coming back to you like if yeah I'll keep it a simple question
3: I think it's doing a little, doing a lot with a little. Um, The plot is pretty, you know, focused. There aren't a million characters. The monster is invisible for almost everybody in the film. And it's not a complicated monster. It walks slowly. It goes after one specific target at a time. It can take the shape of and, you know, adopt the look and the clothes of, I guess, anybody that it wants And so I think having a really solid foundation to build something incredibly tense and spooky and how music can just do a lot of the, in a good way, heavy lifting for a movie. Um, I I love sound. I love music. That's a weird kind of thing to say. I love how sound is used in film. And it follows as a great example of an excellent horror movie using sound incredibly effectively. And then also using camera in like a weird and unsettling way, like the camera being a participant. Is not something that you know I feel like I see in a lot of horror movies that I watch.
2: Yeah, mirroring a lot of what Connor has said, I really enjoy that this is a movie that has like the sort of atmospheric dread of something like a Halloween movie, but at the same time has like the playful inventiveness and rules of something like The Nightmare on Elm Street. So it kind of like crashes two really disparate styles together in a really well-merged way. The use of sound, Connor, as you've uh, alluded to, is really powerful, especially like these big kind of like thrusting, uh, just huge, almost like interrupting score and soundtrack that just accentuates things, but also it being pretty nuanced throughout uh, in other moments. And yeah, definitely it being shot largely using wide angle lenses, which lends a sense of like space. It it kind of like this movie reimagines an open space as something inherently frightening, which is really interesting. So uh, in those regards, I found it really interesting.
4: What's also frightening is it's difficult to pin down a time frame. It's difficult to pin Mm -hmm. down like when exactly this movie is happening. Like, is it happening in the 80s, 90s, 2000s? Because you have a mixture of low tech, high tech, new tech and I never thought that that would be something that would like deeply terrify me, but it does, and it does so in this movie. Um, Connor, we were talking about this before, but you mentioned the shell phone. I loved the shell phone. I want the shell phone. Um, <laughs> but it's just God. It's it 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 just
0: so simple, but it works so well. That is it a phone or is it a is it a i uh, an e reader.
2: I think well, I'm like, right. I'm like, at one point
0: so I don't know there, you know the Sam you brought up such a great point about not being able to identify the time period of the movie yeah they're using landlines the the clamshell uh phone reader all in one clearly indicates some advanced technology but you're like wait this definitely could be like in the 80s. Uh, and I, I also agree totally with Connor when he said it, it does a lot with a very little. I always, I, I you know, it's always fun to look at uh, the budgets. This was a $1.3 million budget, which is unbelievable. And the use, as you said, Dave, of those wide angle lenses. I want to point out that the director of photography of this movie was Mike Geolakis, who is also the uh, director of photography for... Old M. Night Shamlon's ah. most recent movie. <laughs> and I was like, if there were some movies that were kindred spirits, it would definitely be this movie and old. This it follows is a better movie. But I was like, wow, this some of the stylistic choices and some of the like just visual poetry that is this movie, I definitely think is due to the the hand and eye of not only the director David Robert Mitchell, but Mike Giolakis as well. Uh, and he actually, um, did us as well. He was the cinematographer for us. Uh, so he's definitely got his hands in a lot of good horror, but, uh, yeah.
3: How does it feel to be the first person on earth to compare It Follows and Old in like a positive light?
0: Um, I'm honored because I really loved Old. Um, I will tell everyone on earth to go watch it just for that visual poetry.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think the most compelling thing about this movie is how beautiful it is. I There were, sh- like, I think, um what's his name? Meant to say, directed by David Robert Mitchell. And like Christine said, the cinematographer is Mike, however you said his last name. I'm sure it was, you know, great.
2: <laughs> I like to shrug, Christine. Yeah, just, yeah, I got it right once, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think that, some parts of the movie reminded me of paintings. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if they're big photographers because there are some stills and baby, we were still for a while sometimes, but there were some stills in this movie that were so stunning, so stunning that I wanted to pause and I don't know, screenshot it and do what with it? I don't know. But I wanted to pause (laughs) and just have that image. You know what I mean? And um, I have to say like a little bit of um, what's the word? Ah, my brain. A little bit of a disclaimer. I was I had so much trouble streaming this movie. Like every time I would try to cast it onto my TV, it would just shit the bed. And so I wonder if some of my irritation at some things in this movie is because I was irritated going into it. So I am going to try my best to give it grace. But I'm going to lead into my next question. What is something in this movie that you're like, you know, I see where this was going, but this didn't quite land for me. And you can say nothing. You're allowed to, but
2: I'll say there are a handful of like logistical details here or there that are probably be me being more nitpicky than necessary, but like. I guess if we're if we're just gonna do a broader discussion, then uh, spoilers ahead. And at the end of the movie, when there is uh, the scene at the pool and um, she's firing off the gun, or he's fired, Paul is firing off the gun, trying to hit this monster that he can't see. And he just, uh, he shoots Yara in the leg. Like, I, I kind of wonder what the next day is like as far as the conversation at the hospital, because suddenly they're just all at the hospital and it seems like it's fine. Uh, there's also an interesting moment too, where like, I guess for the sake of like horror and it being, Visually interesting Uh, when they're pulling away from the house at one point, um, the entity, the thing is is sort of just fixed on the roof. And it's like, well, it's a thing that hunts you pretty practically to the point that it will smash windows and stuff. Like, what's it doing on the roof? (laughs) But beyond that, uh, I think it, it, it largely lands pretty well
1: sure and to your point sorry about Yara getting shot there are times in this movie where the characters act in ways that don't make sense (laughs) because by the time they drown that little thing in the pool and they're all cuddling around what's her name the main the main character what's her name Jay they're all cuddling around Jay if I were Yara I would be pissed as hell bitch you shot (laughs) me in the leg (laughs) you shot me in the motherfucking leg and you're she's fine Jay is fine I'm bleeding on the floor can somebody it's be come a whole get
3: me? Conversation, yeah. Come oh, And, <laughs> and she's, she's just holding her leg as this very emotional scene is happening. As they're shooting a thing in the face, and she's just standing there in the corner. We see Kelly, her Jay's sister, get like a, a rag to I guess make a makeshift tourniquet is maybe what's implied to be happening. Uh, but yeah, that that pool scene. I mean, this is also kind of nitpicky. But bullets can't shoot underwater. I'm sorry. That's just always going to get like.
2: Uh, They sort of can, but they're not as effective. And that's, I agree in that sense that he gets the perfect headshot where it's like, uh, I don't know.
3: And I think sort of the idea of like things that are maybe set up, but don't quite pay off. After, I think this is my third time seeing it follows. There's this kind of theme that i know running theme of like parenthood or, like, adolescence, or trying, like, how to exist in a world without your parents, we see very little of any adult figures, or I guess adults over the age of, like, 20, 21 in this film. Um, So, like, we see uh, Jeff's mom, who is the man who, quote-unquote, infected Jay, but we don't really see Jay and Kelly's mom, like, brief moments here or there. Adult. It kind of reminds me of, like, Charlie Brown, where adults don't really play, kind of like a part in the narrative. But in the end, the creature takes the shape of... Her dad, who is deceased, I assume. Um, I don't know if we ever get full clarity on that. So I feel like there's some. Sorry.
0: Sorry. So is the man at the pool supposed to be the form of the dad? Mm -hmm. Did not put that together. Which is why
2: when she's like so afraid and it's just like, what do you see? It's like, I can't tell you. It would, you know, it would be too upsetting. And that's to her sister. And so while I appreciate the subtlety, this movie is
3: very subtle in many excellent ways, but there's some, like, something I can't quite put my finger on, of some idea of parenthood or coming on and coming up into your own. Is it as deep as, like, killing the past? To quote Kylo Ren in Rise of the, Sky in, uh, the Last Jedi. Um, you know, so it's like kind of, there's some idea of, like, parenthood that I still can't quite grapple. I think there's lots of interesting things threads, but I'm not quite sure how it wraps up that sort of idea or what it has to say about parents' roles in the lives of teenagers entering kind of their early 20s.
4: There's also this, I think, like bastardization of It Follows, where people are saying that oh, it's talking about STDs and STIs and there's consequences to unprotected sex and to having sex um, outside of marriage. Like I've definitely seen this, which like, like fine, whatever, like whatever <laughs> wants your boat, I guess. But, you know, like I don't think that it has to have that meaning. It, but if it does, okay. But I like don't think that that was the point. Maybe it was, who knows? What do I know? Nothing.
1: I, okay, so I find what you're saying incredibly interesting because um, there are a lot of think pieces on this movie, right? So some people are saying that it's about sexual assault survival. Some people are saying it's about STDs. There was this one long piece where somebody was like, it's about teenagers being in touch with their hormones. And I'm like, okay, all right, okay, whatever. But I think for me, I don't disagree that it's about STDs or about STIs. But I think where some people are missing the point is if it is, then it's more about the destigmatization of it Mm. as opposed to um, being punished or as opposed to it being a reckoning for your misbehavior. You know what I mean? Because when you think about how quickly her friends come to her they could have they could have been like okay so you're seeing things stay the fuck away from us you know what I mean like she's having these effects from her quote from her actions um but they stick with her so I yeah I I think where the thread is lost on that logic is that it's about if you have sex then you die you know and I also think that um a point (laughs) not to be this person, but I think that it can be both about STDs and sexual assault, because when somebody transmits a sexually transmitted disease to you without your permission, and especially when they knowingly do so, it is a form of sexual assault, you know? So I I don't know why those things have to be mutually exclusive. And that's what I was seeing a lot in the discussions about this movie.
3: I think it does the movie a disservice to try to pigeonhole into one allegory. Like this film is clear, at least from my perspective, it's clearly not an allegory for one thing. Um, Mitchell's trying to, I think, tell a story that operates on a multitude of levels, trying to juggle a multitude of themes. I think by and large successfully, because so much of it's ambiguous and sort of tapping into these different societal ideas and expectations about topics that are interrelated, which I think, adds to what makes this movie so awesome.
1: Yeah, and and to your point earlier about um the lack of parents
3: around,
1: like I think I think it was calculated and pointed and I mean, there's a reason why like some people don't realize that that's the father at the end because they're not really around, you know. And um but I think it's really about teenagers. Like, do you remember when you were a kid and something looking back on it now was probably something so small, but something catastrophic was happening to you. And you're like, I can't tell mom, you know, like that feeling is so captured in this movie. This like, they don't go to the authorities when their house is broken into, you know, that feeling of we have to deal with this on our own. Otherwise the world will end is so well captured in
2: this movie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the absence of parents really plays into that feeling of, uh, the urgency of their, their camaraderie and their connection. And it's definitely, uh, to me, um, uh, as Connor, you said, a movie about many things, but for one thing that really stood out for me in these rewatches was uh, this notion of just different ways of dealing with, I suppose, abuse in not only a, a sexual sense, but in a general sense, uh, and trauma and grief, which, you know, at a time when we're there's a big oversaturation, I think, of movies exploring... Grief and trauma through horror, but just doing it for the sake of that being horrific. This this movie is kind of really about a community that is bound together in their interest in helping someone through their 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 trauma and their abuse, as opposed to say uh, someone like Hugh or Jeff who is just passing it along and this like continuous cycle of abuse and how that is interrupted by a healthy support network. So in that sense, I think it's a pretty interesting and pretty thoughtful movie and one that. Pays off in exploring grief and uh, abuse and trauma through horror uh, while also saying something instead of just doing it for the sake of it being horrific.
3: That's such a great thread that you're kind of picking up on because that ties into a theme or like a motif that I didn't pick up until this rewatch. But the idea of like this movie is set in the suburbs of Detroit, it's a very Michigan Detroit kind of focused movie. There's a lot of great behind the scenes stuff about this town itself coming together to like film these scenes, uh, the tall, the very, very tall man who is one of the It Follows creatures. He has a twin. And I guess these are two of the tallest twins in all of America. And they just happen to live in this small Michigan town where It Follows was filmed. So behind the scenes, I think there's a lot of great stories of this community coming together to make this really impactful film and also tie into the idea of like, what does it mean to be a post-industrialized community of where there's all these, you know, that eight miles brought up um, and this idea of like, Detroit being this, you know, this place where these neighborhoods have just been devastated by poverty. And so we see different shades of these different homes. And Jeff Hugh, who transmits the disease, quote unquote, says, you know, rented this like burn, you know, this like rundown house, but he actually lives in this really nice house in like the distant suburbs where Jay lives closer to sort of the city itself. And so there's also this interesting narrative of like what happens when communities are abandoned or another thread that I don't think I quite, can articulate how it kind of culminates, but it was an interesting idea to think about this rewatch of the movie of how the community at large sort of plays a role in the lives of the kids.
0: I was trying to get a sense of when you had mentioned the different people who play the entity, whatever it is, that's following them. I was trying to find, and clearly I wasn't paying close enough attention, attention because I didn't could make the father connection in the pool scene. But like when a particular character that you might've been introduced to before reappears as a, uh, as a ghost or, 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 the entity or as the apparition or whatever, I was trying to find a pattern in what was trying to be communicated based on what types of people were present, like were like appearing in Jay's life. Like I I saw the little boy who's always watching Jay in the pool and there's sort of this like uh, element of voyeurism. And then he's the one who's uh, like poking his head through the lake shed when they go to the lake house yeah. beach. Did you guys pick up on any, or like what are we supposed to make of the people that appear or is it sort of just random and is disposed of these ambiguous threat and just this underlying sense of dread?
3: One of the rules is that it can adopt the shape of anybody to get to you at that moment. So that can be your father. We see the the shell phone girl, I forget her name, um, is approaching her on the beach. And so it can take the form of anybody. So I think it's whatever can emotionally manipulate her in that moment is something that the entity I like how you phrase that. The entity, I think, tries to adopt. So that's, like I said, that's not, that's also kind of subtle. It's a, it's a reference that's set up for the appearances of some familiar faces. But I think that's what's kind of going on there.
4: So I actually have a question. And I was not thinking about this before we started getting into all of these threads that the movie kind of pulls on. And Adese, like, you're here and I, I would love to hear your perspective on this. Um do we think that there's ever a thread that horror movies should never pull?
1: That's a good question. Um I don't know if I personally don't think that there's a thread that horror movies should never pull, but I think that there are threads that only certain people mm. should work on pulling. You know what I mean? And um when you were talking about that um the 8 Mile line, I something, something that I found a little bit frustrating about this movie is the writing. I know that might be controversial, but I thought the writing leaves a lot to be desired. And at times it's clear that they wanted a very simple plot and very simple writing, so to speak, but they couldn't commit to the simplicity of the writing they wanted to. So they would add these random pieces of text that just felt put in there to seem deep and smart and whatever. And one of the pieces of text for me was that whole conversation about eight mile. I was like, no, I know this little girl didn't get on my screen to tell me her parents are racist. And then (laughs) and then we just never talk about that in any meaningful sort of way, because that's what I took out of it. She's like, yeah, basically, they told me not to go past the street, which really just feels like because black people and it's especially noticeable when we are watching a movie where most of the characters are white passing I mean I'm not you know what I mean and so it it's like are you trying to explain away the fact that we're seeing mostly white passing people on the screen or is it just because this is a very specific Detroit reference you know what I'm saying
2: yeah, I've had I it to be a bit of a throwaway line in that regard as well. I think what they're going for is this notion of deconstructing the safety of white suburbia uh, as far as like, well, I, I mean, you know, we were told as kids not to cross this line, but here we are out in the suburbs and we're being, or at least one of our friends is being hunted by this thing. But for that to be, yeah, for that to be an expression of like, you know, <laughs> The danger of a phenomenological demon versus, you know, white flight, I think, is is a pretty clunky conversation, or especially if you're not going to advance that beyond a throwaway line, kind of.
0: And it's clunky because it it like in so many respects because it's like just like a scene change and then voiceover, and you're like, yeah, like a, it's sort of like glommed on to a particular scene change, and with with seemingly no desire to further penetrate that particular theme or yeah <question>.
2: it's, like, it's another scene folks we got to keep moving and that's like well then maybe that's not the time to introduce that idea well and
3: even though it's a it's an hour and 40 minute movie so this movie moves at a pretty clip pace and that i feel like that monologue just really derails like we're getting to this pool I think that there was probably a more subtle way to handle this idea or even just a hint at it if you didn't want to dive full in because the last 20 minutes of your movie is not the time to do that. And I think it's unfortunate that Yara, for me, kind of gets all of these kind of frustrating moments. Like she has the shell phone and she has these like oversized glasses and she has this monologue at the end and I, I don't know. It's like she just feels like the who goes over to a friend's house and reads while watching a movie. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, but the idea of like depends she just on the movie. feels. <laughs> I guess depends on the movie. But I feel like a lot of this idea of like it follows being kind of pretentious. It's true, like I'm, I am can sometimes be a pretentious person. I watch tons of movies and have a movie podcast that kind of comes from you with the territory a little bit. But I think this character, it's unfortunate that the relationships between her sister, Paul, um, some of the other characters, I think are very believable. And, and Yara is just kind of out here doing her own thing and then just says whatever the script needs her to say in the moment.
0: Yeah, she's like reading from the idiot. Then there's the teacher that's reading from... T.S. Eliot. I I didn't even know that. I literally looked in Amazon's x-ray and it was like, oh, J. Alfred Prufrock, T.S. Eliot. I was like, "Okay, once again, the movie is trying to endow the scene with maybe a a more elevated sense of like importance than maybe it warrants. But or or maybe, you know, depending on who's watching, having a T.S. Eliot reference really like (laughs) makes it even, you know, more uh, compelling, but yeah, I, definitely everyone's points about moments d- that feel like the 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 dialogue or the writing is tr- is really trying to grasp it at a, a deeper complexity than is necessarily earned.
1: All right, I'm gonna say one more controversial thing, and then I will I will have my last prompt. My final controversial thing is that this movie is much too long. It's much too long. I think that they could have cut 10 minutes out of this movie because those first 40 minutes of the movie I think the good thing about this movie is that the last hour redeems it. If this moved to me, if this movie had been just the last hour, I would understand what the hype is about. But the first 40 minutes of this movie, I feel like there were so many things that were so precious. You know, I was like, cut it out. Nothing. It doesn't need to be this precious. Let's go ahead and cut some of these five second. Why are we why are we staying on this one moment for five seconds? We can move on. We get it. You know what I mean? And I think for the first 40 minutes of this movie, I was feeling like if everything is important, then nothing is important, you know, and especially when to me the dialogue felt so throwaway, you know, Um, but that's 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 my country. That's what I came here to say, um, actually.
0: Oh, my gosh. I I agree with you, but I would flip it. I thought I think if the last (laughs) 30 minutes of the movie were cut off, (laughs) I think it would be a perfect movie as far as pacing, because and my fellow butter with that uh, folks can attest to the fact that I love slow ass movies and I could watch all of those scenes, uh, for an infinite number of minutes. And I loved the, the, like letting shots linger and, uh, looking at all that camera work. And then I was like, once they were trying to explain, like, or I guess once they were, I don't know, the, the pool scene and then the, and I don't know, for me it could have just ended with a really sort of ambiguous ending, but that's just me. That's just me.
1: Okay. I get that I don't disagree (laughs) um so I have one final question and then we can wrap this up I am
0: curious what like did other folks like the pacing I'm kind of with
3: you Christine of where I love how the beginning just oozes tone and oozes style and just revels in this you know, the middle class, I guess, for lack of a better word, just like these characters just existing and the shots panning around this idea of like we're not like, you know, part of it is you're looking for the monster knowing or like the idea that it can be anywhere. And then the when we get to the beach, that's in the movie kind of really not that I dislike it, but it's just like it feels like that there's like a speed bump and what I've really enjoyed on the ride. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, This is a way to explain to the friends that the monster exists, but did it need to be 20 minutes in the movie?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I appreciated the beginning how it does allow us, well, I, I don't know. Actually, up until the thing is, the entity is introduced into Jay's life, then I think a lot of those sort of like longer shots that allow you a lot of time to breathe are setting a false expectation in a sense for what for what follows because, for it follows. Uh, because what happens after the fact is like, there's an importance, there's a real gravity to those scenes being longer because you're const- your eye is constantly scanning open spaces for something coming. Um, and that being kind of necessary to the attention. But yeah, I think the first 20 minutes or so could have, uh, could have gone by faster if that's the desired result once this plot point is introduced.
4: What's hilarious to me is like I think I'm probably the most impatient person like on this podcast when it comes to like <laughs> length. I'm always like, let's get to it. I didn't, I think this might be one movie where I was like. I don't mind. I can like, I can live in it. I know, right? Like, it's no means a- cutoff. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Sam, I can't believe what you're saying on on the butter with that podcast. This opinion you're saying.
4: I know. Mark it down on this day. Sam didn't hate one thing. Um, <laughs> but but you know, you can always trim a little. You can always trim. But like, I didn't. I didn't mind it too much.
3: Can I just say one thing? I did like about the end. I like that their plan failed. And they're like, oh, it didn't work. And thank God it didn't work because Jay would be dead. Like we see all this time of like, and I feel like this kind of played against the expectations of the kids are coming together to take down the monster. They got this foolproof plan to electrocute it in the pool. And we see 10 minutes of plugging in outlets and an impossible number of outlets into this closed down recreational pool in this, I guess, abandoned part of the Detroit suburbs or outside Detroit. And so I love that the plan kind of failed and they had to improvise like that just felt like, I don't know, the the clubhouse kids are coming together to stop the monster. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, let's just move on and shoot the face the best we can.
2: I guess I did have one really quick question for the group. Uh, How do we feel about the men in this movie? Uh, Because I think having said before that this is, you know, a cohesive and supportive uh, community for her to express and explore her trauma and grief, uh, it does feel as though every man in this movie does have a an ulterior motive, and that being the same ulterior motive, um, which I don't think is a weakness of the film, but interesting. I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
3: I was going to say what a fine line this movie walks and the idea that all the men want to have sex with Jay to quote unquote help her. And I'll just it's a fine line and and I'll just leave it at that.
0: I mean, I think it it supports the notion of, of vis- like, the sense of dread and threat. Like, within the camera work, you constantly see, and ent- like, entities within the horizon frame. And then within a story, you're also kind of, as a viewer, trying to, like, evaluate and understand, like, how is Jay? Like, what is Jay's relationships with the people around her? And not only her siblings, not only her female friends, but also, like her male friends and like the people uh, like that she's dating and things like that. And so I think that it it also plays with with distance and threat with it or proximity to to threat as well. Like not only visually, but also the way that the characters are developed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that ending. Yeah. Like her walking away
1: with uh, Paul.
2: Yeah, friend a constantly uh, and aggressively quote unquote friend zoned Paul, it seems, which is yeah. like the, yeah.
1: Mm. Um, I was gonna ask, I was gonna ask the question. Do we think that they played that the Paul's character was written a little bit in cell adjacent?
2: There's uh, there's some tendencies there, it feels like. Yeah. It's it definitely feels like one of those dynamics where he is someone who is a very caring friend to someone with the expectation that, that there will be some sort of return that he desires in that regard, rather than being a genuine friend to them.
1: And, like, what do we think it says that he does get that return, you know? I don't think that the movie
0: ends on any sort of uh, uplifting note, so I don't know if the movie is, is supporting any kind of narrative that it's like, oh, childhood friends with... You know, like that could have been dating are now like together and everything is resolved. I, I very much think the movie closes with a still looming sense of of threat and dread. And so I think it's just sort of like one more, it's like to be continued. How else can Jay navigate through this relationship now and sort of the the compounding elements of relationship? issues and also the fact that she's probably still being followed by this entity, because I don't think that, I don't think the pool resolved
3: in anything,
0: no. but.
3: Well, and did Paul pass it on to the sex worker that he was driving past? That's also ambiguous too of like, it seems like he's doing this as a, as a way to help her kind of, Greg, was that the neighbor's name? So like how the neighbor yeah. also. Agrees to have it be transmitted, he pays with his life for trying to help with that. Paul seemingly takes up the same risk. And does he pass it on? Doesn't he? You know, is is the creature following him, not Jay? That's I think we've talked, I feel like, quite a bit over the past couple of weeks of ambiguous endings. And this has to be one of my favorite of all ambiguous endings.
4: It is just consistently hard out there for a bitch, you know, like it is never, mm-hmm. ever easy. And I like. I I don't mind when movies point that out.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so on our pod, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring over a teeny tiny Disney deviant's tradition. On our podcast, we like to guess what everybody would rate the movie. Right. So let's say I were to guess Connor, then Connor has to guess someone else, you know, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, I'm going to bring that tradition over. And if whether I'm correct or wrong, like, let's say if I were like, oh, you're going to give it a 4.5 out of five. And you're like, you are correct. Please tell me why I am correct. Does that make sense? Or why I am wrong? Mm -hmm. Great. So, Connor, (laughs) I think that you are going to give this movie a 4.5 out of 5.
3: Desi, you are 100% correct. I would give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. I generally have nothing but glowing praise. um, But rewatch after rewatch, I think, is definitely not necessarily a bad way, but has shown me some cracks or some things I'm a little more critical of that are kind of fun and like somebody who appreciates filmmaking kind of way and not in a way that necessarily ruins the film so I think 4.5 out of 5 is like exactly where I land on this how do you know Um,
1: just just a guess you know nothing (laughs) precipitating it at all
2: you do have a letterbox, think- though, Connor. I do <laughs> oh, have a letterbox.
1: I promise I did not <laughs> look at anyone's letterbox. Let me tell you, you guys, when I tell you our podcast runs on faith, trust, pixie dust, and vibes, we do not do research, okay? What is research? So I would never <laughs> go out of my way to find anyone's might-
3: letterbox. <laughs> that might be the best podcast motto ever. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Sam now. Sam, you're so hard to like nail down. I feel like with movie ratings. I'm going to go with a solid. Th- can I, is it just 0.5? Or can I like even slice it down even further?
1: Slice it down. Why not?
3: Sam, I'm going to go 3.3 out of five.
1: Oh my God. You're yes. That's, that's <laughs> totally where I would land.
4: <laughs> yes. Yeah believe that. Um as much as I like this movie, I I'm I like to withhold love sometimes. And you know what a what a perfect five, what a perfect like 4.5 looks like. I don't know. I don't know yet, but it's certainly not this as much as I love it.
3: I knew you would never give it a 3.5, but but it's a little more than a three.
4: Wow. Seen. I feel seen. Hmm okay. God, the pressure's on. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna make this like very difficult for myself, Dave. Um, I'm going to try, let's see, more or less than what I thought. I think that you would give this like between, I think like a like a, like a three uh, near it.
2: Okay. I, I would say it was a, a. I would agree with you. It's a three point three. Okay. It has uh, a few more strengths than weaknesses. Although I find, uh, as we discussed, some of the writing to be a little bit um, irrelevant or uh, or just sort of like uh, I don't know, not not really aiming to resolve what it's introducing, but just sort of throwing it out there. Uh, but I do think that its strengths uh, really lie in its its cinematography and its sense of dread and its inventiveness. So I suppose. On that merit, uh, I would have to give it a little bit more than a three because I do find those elements very effective. But a very good guess. <laughs> and then I suppose I don't know. I suppose I'll pass it off to uh, to Christine. I would think that since we're doing uh, a you know a myriad decibels, uh, I would say you're probably a three point eight with this movie.
0: I wasn't thinking three point eight. I was thinking three point five. I was going for the the halfsies, mm-hmm. but. I will say actually a 3.8 is a great guess because I think actually before this discussion, I would have been more of like a four. Hmm. And I think what's great about podcasts is it introduces ideas you hadn't thought about or hadn't had time to really think through uh, or listen to other people's uh, kind of thoughts and insights. And I think, I think it, it would be, Go down to a th- uh, yeah, between a three point five and a three point eight. Yeah. Um And what I was interested or like surprised was that the second time I watched this most recently was, I remember it being really terrifying and scary, and it wasn't. It wasn't really that scary when I when I watched it again. Like this, the jump out scares. All right, to wrap things up, Adeze, I think that you gave it a. Well, I'm going to say a three. I'm going to say a three out of five a r- around. Wait, uh, not even an odd number, but, you know, in, even in decimals three. Can we can we all
4: guess to see who comes closest? Ooh,
1: OK, OK. Wait, actually, can I make it a little bit trickier? Can <sighs> you guess what I would have given it at the top and what I'm giving it now? Ooh.
3: Mm. Oh, my.
1: I love to be the center of attention. So I, <laughs> what can I say?
0: So maybe like the first, maybe at the top 3.5 and then, m- then my final answer three, that's me.
3: I'm going to go with a two, a two when we started recording. And then you're up to a three. I think we were able to, I, I think I'm you went a full star, a full star up. This is, this is, I'm going bold, going big or going home.
4: Um. Started at like a 2.75 and I think now at like a 3.2 or 3.3.
2: I'll say maybe a (laughs) 3.15 and maybe now down to 2.93.
1: You guys <laughs> You guys These random decimals Are killing me <laughs> I'm sorry I you're opened really that not, can I of worms also, so I, don't
3: know. I should not have Opened that can of worms you I'm so what? sorry I ruined your tradition
1: I'm going to bring it To Taiwo And Taiwo will be like What the French fuck is this <laughs> Taiwo said You spent the day With those white people And now you're different What happened <laughs> 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 Um But uh, I was going to give it a 2.5 because I thought that it was beautiful to look at. And um, I love looking at beautiful things. Um, But I, you know, the dialogue was not for me. And I think that like the first I'm realizing the reason why the first half of the movie was like a lot for me was because the dialogue is so bad that the actors really can't pull it off. So when things start to pick up later on in the movie you kind of ignoring the dialogue because things are happening and their sound and things like that. But I do think that I landed on a three. So I, I I jumped a half a star because I don't know, I think hearing you all's unabashed love for the movie. Um, <laughs> I see your points. I see the points, but not more than a three. So
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah. I I do. All of you guys have letterboxed?
3: No, I haven't. I have an update mine in like a year.
0: I want to do one to be able to list or like keep account of all the movies I've seen, but somehow it's so hard for me to commit to like numeric ratings for movies, and I always change my mind. But but especially you know what? with
2: all these point ones and point threes involved.
0: <laughs> but maybe this maybe this has opened up a new opportunity in my uh, movie watching world to just get a letter boxed and start rating everything.
1: Yeah, thank you all so much for inviting me. Uh this was really lovely. And um I hope I hope to be back. I promise I'll be on time. say thank,
0: thank you so much for coming on our podcast. This was a blast. And uh yeah, like it's so wonderful to be a part of the movie, John. Now oh wait, uh is Disney Deviants on the socials. Oh my All gosh. The...
1: Yeah, we are. I never have to do this part because Taiwo knows the things. Um, so we are. <laughs> Hold on. Just say more things. Let me look.
0: What I'll say is that I also never know what the, <laughs> what the socials are. So once you say where we can find Disney Deviants on social media, I will be passing it off to somebody else. Passing <laughs> it off to missed... Connor.
2: Connor can help us out with
3: that. <laughs> we are at Butter With That on Instagram. <laughs> Butter With That on Facebook. Butter With That One on Twitter. And you can always email us at ButterWithThatPodcast at gmail.com. We recently got an email from former guest, longtime friend of the show, Alana. So if you want to have your email read, email us at ButterWithThatPodcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes, and you can find us on Instagram at Disney Deviants Pod, And you can find us at Disney Deviants Pod. I think Disney pod at gmail.com. If it bounces back, then it's Disney deviance at gmail.com do the pod first. Um, and you can find me only on Twitter. Do not try to find me anywhere else. Thank you so much. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at the princess man.
0: Nice. Awesome. Yay. Well, as we say at butter with that, have a great, whatever, whenever you're listening to this, hope it's okay and uh we will catch you next week as we continue our spooky and halloween horror themed uh series of episodes oh thank you so much again adese and we will catch all listeners again next week goodbye Yay. bye i got
3: disney deviants
0: yes Woo! it's so good <laughs>